Welcome back to the Colorado Switchblade. I'm Jason Van Tatenhove, your host, as always. Coming to you from Estes Park, Colorado. Man, it's been a crazy week. Feds raided Trump's Mar Largo. We don't really know why yet. I don't know. I figure they'll tell us soon enough. Um, everyone's supposedly it has to do with uh, different um, documents that he did not turn over. But apparently they took like 10 boxes out of his basement and broke into his safe. So we'll see what happens there. Um, what else do we got going on this week? I mean, just locally, we just had um, our town board meeting. And it uh, wasn't anything really too exciting or, or needing to be reported on, really. But there was an interesting bit um, talking about uh, a group of citizens that, that are residents here in Estes Park. Some of them you probably know because you're interacting with them on a regular basis um, who happen to be uh, mobility disabled and really, really having a hard time getting back and forth to work which, uh, you know, a lot of us take for granted. I, I, it's not an issue I have to deal with anymore because I, I work completely out of my house. But I do deal with mobility issues, especially more in the wintertime. Though, like, I've been working out every day. I've been walking at least a mile every day and then riding the bike, um, the exercise bike at the rec center. And, uh, you know, lifting and stuff. So I've, I've been getting much, much better with my ankle. So I haven't even had to use the cane. I don't know, like two months, maybe, maybe two months. Anyway, and I, I, you know, it's summertime and I want to ride my motorcycle. I want to, I want to get out. You probably see me out on the, uh, the big white Harley in that round town. That's me. Um, so, uh, I got a quick interview with, uh, some of the people that spoke there at the town board meeting. And, and from what I've heard already, um, this is something that the town took very seriously. Uh, I believe, um, uh, you know, the town administrator, town, uh, assistant administrator, and uh, Mayor Wendy are already talking about what to do with this. So there's a, a stretch of the um, the sidewalk and and like bike trail that is going from Highway Seven um, south, and uh, it, apparently it is it is not very safe, especially for people say if you're in an electric wheelchair um, trying to get home at night. You know this is a uh, it, it is revolving around uh, a gentleman who who works at one of our local grocery stores and uh, sometimes has to work the night shift and, and getting home, just like anyone trying to get home uh, is becoming a very dangerous proposition. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, and then uh, we're also going to be, did you know, do you know what the game of go is? I love the game of go. I've taught my, all my daughters how to play the game of go. It's um, what's the best way to describe it. It's an ancient, ancient game that originated in China and um, it's really simple. It's a big wooden board um, with uh, a grid pattern on it. Um, it's usually like a 19 by 19. And the, it's got little white um, circle pieces called stones, usually made out of shell. And uh, they're either white or black. Um, but, you know, it's, a, it's, it's basically like an abstract strategy board game. Uh, there's two players. Um, it was invented in China more than 2,500 years ago and uh, is believed to be the oldest board game continuously played to the present day. And uh, the big United States Go Congress 
which is the largest Go activity in the United States. It happens once a year and spans a week. Um, the events include the U.S. Open, the largest annual Go tournament in the U.S. Uh, there are professional lectures and game analysis and, and continuous self-paired games. Um, but it just happened here. It happens every every year in Estes Park, Colorado. I had no idea. Um, you know, I have taught all of my daughters how to play Go since they were could barely walk because it's it's a it's, it's a deceptively simple game, but it gets so complex. And so think of it this way: so like chess is a game of attrition, right? You're sacrificing so that the the the, the king and queen, specifically the king, can survive this battle. Whereas Go is is more like a game of guerrilla warfare where you're trying to influence the largest territory with the least amount of resources. And I think it's just, it's a great strategy to have and teach your kids. And it's a simple game. So, and and both like Lux and Winter have both, even pretty young off, have legitimately beat me. I don't know what that's saying about like my, my strategy game, but uh, you know, my, my daughter's, definitely have picked it up and um you know they uh they do really well with it we'll still break out the go board every now and then um just to just to have some fun and um so i didn't know that so uh john meissner went out and he got some he got an interview with the director of the organization that put it on and uh some of the players so we're gonna listen to that um, I got that interview from the uh, town hall meeting or outside of it more specifically that we'll be uh, going over. That's just a, a quick one. And that's going to be an introductory one. I was going to, I was trying to get a hold of um, earlier today to get the interview with the, the gentleman that's actually having the issues, um, you know, getting back and forth from work from one of our uh, local uh, grocery store outlets. And um, so I was hoping to have that for today, but it just hasn't connected. So we're going to go ahead and and uh, wait to hear from him and his wife. Um, we hear a little bit about it with the interview that I do have, shorter one. So it'll be like an intro, and then uh, we'll follow up with what the city's going to do about it, what the town of Estes Park's going to do about it. And I think they're already on it. Like I said, I think I think they they see that this is an issue, and it's a you know a liability issue, but just a a quality of life issue. And you know the, I, what I will say is, you know, when I have talked on on the podcast about you know. Uh, mobility issues or people with mobility issues, um, you know, because I've got the handicap placard in my car, you know, especially when things are bad and, uh, you know, just the nature of my injuries and my ankles, it's, it, it cycles, you know, if, if I can always tell the weather, like it's so much better than the weather forecasters. Um, but, you know, it, it does much worse in the winter time um, because, you know, I'm not out and about as much. The more I'm able to, to work on it, 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 it does better. But regardless, I there are times when there just aren't enough handicap spots. By the way, the, the town reached out to me on the last episode. And basically, if you've got a handicap placard, you can park for free wherever you want that's paid parking downtown. Um, and so that that really helps alleviate things. And I think a lot of people that that have those handicap parking placards or the license plates don't realize that. So um, that's something to know. And uh, so, yeah, you know, the town has been really, really responsive with things like this. So we um, I, I think they're already on it and I think they're going to to figure it out real quick. And, uh, you know, I'm impressed with uh, that. They were already talking right after the the town board meeting, um, trying to, to get right on this issue. So um, good job to the town. 
So um, we also, I, I've got a quick intro to, there's a big benefit coming up um, with some friends of mine that are putting on the uh, the the American Legion's uh, Riders Club, the, the motorcycle club there. Um, they are putting on a benefit. So I got a quick interview there. So we're going to talk with uh, Justice. And uh, they've also helped me get my bike up on the road this year and really helped out with things. And they're a local business owner, so I'm giving them just a, a quick spot to tell us about what they're doing here in town. But more importantly, this big benefit, this is their big annual benefit that they're doing. It's going to be over at the uh, Ridgeline. Uh, got some some great comics coming into town for that. So uh, let's just jump into that and have um, Justice tell us a little bit more about it. But of course, before we do that, I want to take time to thank my sponsors because, you know, they've really stuck with me. And, uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. It's the the Historic Park Theater here in town and the Real Mountain Theater, both of which um, are the two movie theaters. The the Historic actually does some live shows. They've got a, the Five Nations show that we talked about last couple episodes. Um coming up here real quick but you can go just click on the banners at the bottom of uh, the show notes and um, bring you right up to what their schedules are they've got a great membership program where you can buy a monthly membership like a streaming service and go to all the movies you want uh, between the two theaters i think so it's great if your parents looking for uh something to, to have the kids be doing um on the uh dog days during the dog days of summer um, what else? Oh, I just did a, uh, man, it was like an hour and a half. It was like, actually it was closer to two hours. It was like an hour and 57 minutes, something like that. So, uh, comedian David C. Smalley, who's a big comedian. He's also really big in the off-brand Power Rangers community. <laughs> he, he played a, a part in one of the, like the Disney uh, knockoffs of Power Rangers Danger Team or something like that. Anyway, he he's actually a really well-known um, podcaster. He's had like 50 million downloads on his podcast. But we had a really great conversation about uh, the hearings, uh, the January 6th committee hearings that I was a part of, and uh, just kind of my story there. I tell you what, I'm going to be so happy to be done with like this book that I'm writing right now. Like, I just, I want to be done with all of this. I just want to be able to move on to, you know, writing my supernatural horror fiction stuff and, and working on new projects. Like I'm so done with the Oath Keepers side of things. And I knew I needed to come forward and speak, uh, you know, speak my own truth. And, you know, when Congress asks you to do it, you kind of have to. Um, but I'm, I'm really going to be glad when this book is is out and published and all the, the media tours and blitzes and book signings are done with that particular thing. Cause I'm ready to, to just jump right back into my, my science fiction and, and supernatural horror series is that I write. Cause I'm excited. I love doing that stuff. And, um, Oh, by the way, if, if you wanted to read my, uh, first supernatural fiction novel, which is based here in Estes Park, Colorado, uh, deals with some of the issues that, that I, uh, I talk about often on the podcast. You can now get it. You can now check it out at the Estes Valley Community Library. Also working on planning kind of behind the scenes right now, trying to get put together with McDonald's books and uh, the Estes Valley Library. Maybe we're, we're still talking. We, I'm reaching out and, and we're, we're trying to connect, but uh, McDonald's and, and I want to do a, a book reading 
where I read a, a part of uh, one of my supernatural horror books. Um, and then a book signing, which will help, of course, uh, you know, help me pay for the upcoming holiday season for my daughters. So uh, if you've ever wanted to, if you haven't gotten a copy of my book, you might hold off until then because uh, I'll have, we'll have a couple of cases there and I'll sign it for you free of charge. Um, and uh, yeah, you get to hear me read some of the, the, the story. So something to keep an eye out for. I don't know when, I don't know exactly where we're thinking maybe at the library, but we, we, we still don't know. So, um, but should be fun for right around Halloween. You know, we got, we always do a lot with Halloween here in Estes Park, Colorado. I've never come up for a Halloween here. Like they shut down the whole downtown and uh, it just becomes like one big pedestrian mall and every business does it. There's people walking around in crazy costumes and, you know, the fire department and the, the first responders always put on some cool stuff. You know, they've always got the fire trucks down there for the kids to see and get into. And, you know, they usually do an ambulance up like some sort of haunted ambulance. I don't know if there's going to be a haunted house this year, but, um, you know, definitely the the day of Halloween celebrations are just awesome. So uh, hopefully... You know, the uh, my book series will will be a part of that, you know, reading at least a little little part of it if we're able to organize it. Um, but if not, still come out to Estes Park and check out our Halloweens. They're great. It's really something that, you know, if you got kids and uh, maybe not in a neighborhood that the trick or treating is the best, you know, come down to downtown Estes. There, there are thousands of people show up and it's just it's a great time. If you haven't had the experience, go ahead and do it. All right, let's go ahead and get into um, Justice is going to come on and tell us all about the um, what they've got going on with their fundraiser. So, oh, and I will put a link into the show notes about the um, the podcast, the David C. Smalley, S-M-A-L-L-E-Y podcast. And it's on everything. It's on Patreon. It's on Apple. It's on um Spotify. So you can just search it too. And it's the uh, most recent one. It just came out Monday. And uh, so, yeah, it should, it, it's, it's a good conversation. We get into some good topics. So uh, check that out when you have a time, when you have a, a free two hours, <laughs> maybe coming and going from work. I don't know. All right. So we're here with Justice Warren and we've got a, a benefit coming up here in town. That's going to be happening on September 24th. So coming up here quicker than we think. Um, hey, Justice, tell us a little bit about what you guys got going on. Well, um, I'm Justice Warren with the American Legion Writers, and we are uh, hosting uh, one of, it's going to be our biggest fundraiser this year. All our money goes to our veterans, their families, the children, and our community. Um, we have two Two men coming in. One is uh, uh, active duty soldier Andre Farrell, and he's coming in from Tucson, Arizona. He's a comedian. He's going to make us laugh our batooties off. And then we've got uh, veteran Joe Cash now. He was an Iraq soldier and uh, was hit by a roadside bomb and uh, now is... Uh, got one leg that he had amputated just recently has had a great surgery that the VA did for him. Uh, and they put like this, uh, peg screw thing in there. So now he'll have, uh, instead of just a nub, he'll have a more secure leg. He's going through rehab. He will be in his wheelchair, but he 
we've had him before with uh, another comedian, and he is hilarious. It's a night of uncensored comedy, so come and join us. Help us raise money. Uh, it's going to be so much fun. It'll be at the Ridgeline on the 24th, and uh, the Ridgeline has been kind enough to donate their big room and uh, help us raise all this money. So please come out and join us. And um, so you guys, have the, the, the Legion riders have helped out so much around town already. And you've seen me riding around on my, my white Harley in town. You, part of the reason that I had that back up and running is because they've helped me out. So tell us a little bit about your, your other businesses here and just what you offer here for locals. Oh, um, so our shop is called Up Top Automotive. And uh, yes, we also work on bikes too. My son is our uh, motorcycle expert. He'll help you get your bike up and running, regular cars, trucks, etc. We also work on, you name it. We've worked on tractors. We've worked on backhoes. We've worked on boats, um, all kinds of things, Tra uh, riding mowers, you name it. If it's got a motor, bring it by and we'll help you get it fixed. We also rent cars. And uh, if you need a vehicle, if yours is broke down or have family coming in, please come by and rent a vehicle from us. We're also your local U-Haul. All right. Well, um, and then this this benefit, isn't that going towards a trike? For... Yes. So um, this part, uh, I don't know how we're going to keep it a secret because Joe Cashnow, uh, the one that has the prosthetic on his leg, he has been turned on by the writing thing. He went to go look and see about getting himself a trike. And of course, it does have to be outfitted. It would come to the tune of $800 a month, which on a veteran's um, disabled uh, pension, there is just no way he can afford that. So this year, we'll use some of the money to be helping veterans throughout the winter, but we're also going to keep some of that back and have some future fundraisers to raise all of the money so we can buy Joe Cash now a uh, trike. He would love to feel the wind in his hair like the rest of us. All right. Well, thanks so much for everything you're doing. You are welcome. Thank you for coming by. All right. Now we're going to just jump right into the interview taken right outside of town hall right after the meeting with some of the people that spoke about the uh, issues with uh, people accessing uh, some of the, the bike trails and city sidewalks, town sidewalks. Um, here in Estes Park, people who are essential workers who probably have checked you out um, within the last week and uh, need some help with uh, getting things to where they can feel a little safer getting to and from work, especially at night. And, you know, this is in the middle of summer, so you know it's going to be even worse. There's also a uh, GoFundMe account that I'm going to try to find the link for. Um, I still haven't made contact with the folks uh, today that I was hoping to get the interviews for for t this this particular podcast. But um, I'm going to see if I can find the link on my own. Otherwise, uh, I'll put it up on the next episode when we have um, one of these individuals come in and, and really talk about some of the issues that they've been experiencing. So here's the interview I did get from uh, another person who spoke about some of the uh, issues with mobility and those with mobility issues in town. So here we go. Okay, so tell me your first name and tell me what you were talking to the town board about tonight. 
My name's Kimberly, and we are talking about how out on Highway 7, there's a limited mobility on the sidewalks for people with disab uh, that have disabilities. I have a below-the-knee amputation, and I can barely walk on the trail due to it being uneven. And um, my friend is in a wheelchair, and he works at the Dollar General, and he's in a wheelchair, and he can't even ride on the the trail because of it slanting so much or it dips um, so deep that he can't he can't do it on the on the trail so his wife has had to um, put him behind the white line on the road when he gets home from um, when he gets off of work because uh, like I said the trails just not safe for him but then it's gotten to the point to where she has to follow him from work home in the middle of the dark because with her flashers on because people are driving insanely crazy they're not slowing down they're not taking in consideration that she has her hazards on and not slowing down at all and people have just like with her being in the middle lane people want to give her room but yet they don't see randy on the other side of the white line and my husband here is also um um lit up his wheelchair with um those kind and you're talking specifically about the section heading south from, say, yeah. Dollar General? Towards, towards yeah. Twin Sisters area, up seven there. Okay. On that trail there on the left. It's really okay. treacherous, and he, he almost fell a couple of times going mm -hmm. through that, so now he's been driving on the road. And that's and just during normal weather, not much less during yeah. the winter weather. No. It's ice. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And people have, I don't know how many times, every single night, somebody's almost hit him, or they'll actually turn around and start fighting with him and threatening him and calling Randy uh, an effing retard. Just all these horrible names, like, you shouldn't be on the road, you know, this is only for bikes. And the, trails, they, they, yeah. the harassment that comes behind that, along with, Randy, every night, he is so worried and so scared to go home at to night. To go from home work. at night because he thinks he's this is the night he's gonna die. Yeah, right. Because the people flying through there and they they just they almost hit him like almost every single night. Mm -hmm. And just the other day, there was a scooter or a wheelchair or something that somebody said just over there by Napa that got smacked by a car because they're not paying attention to the. The people that are uh, pedestrians that are actually yeah, and they have a flashing crosswalk there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Well, okay. Well, thanks for letting us know what's going on, and uh, it's definitely something I'm going to go talk to Randy too because I know he's checked me out more than several times at yeah. Dollar General, and you know, half the time, I, I mean, I've got the handicap tag, and yeah, um, half the time I'm walking with a cane these days. Yeah. So uh, it, it's definitely an issue uh, from just people with disabilities yeah we've um, actually we've actually started a, a GoFundMe because one thing that would really help was would fix the sidewalk area so people with um, mobility issues um, let alone even people that really don't have mobility issues say that they've almost sprained their ankle because walking there at night or whatever and then suddenly that sidewalk takes a dip and they almost yeah. sprain their ankle so we started a, a, a GoFundMe to try and get him a uh, wheelchair accessible vehicle, and they're ex they're expensive, you know. Eighty thousand. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. Uh, we just we we'll actually talk to the people inside at the meeting about what kind of resources we can get to get him a vehicle so he could just roll right up in that, and then he ain't got no issues during the winter time. 
maybe can the wildlife. Keep his I mean, I know the bears can be, you know, if he runs into something, a bear with cubs, they're going to go at him. Or a running bull moose. Yeah, I mean, it could even be an elk, a bull elk. A bull elk or something like that. So that's a little bit unnerving on his part. Um, I don't know if he's got any bear spray or anything to protect yeah. him or not, does he? Yeah. So he carries bear spray and stuff. So there's, there's like many issues between the people and the wildlife and whatnot. But uh, yeah, so hopefully we can even find a resource on getting him a uh, wheelchair accessible vehicle because it is very worrisome. You know, I I would. Uh, and and he wants to be able to be a, you know feel normal having a job, and that way he doesn't have to quit his job in the winter time. Or, or like I said, um, miss out on things that we have planned. You know what I mean? Yeah. So mainly, we came out here for Randy. And, and he's providing an absolutely essential service. I mean, again, Dollar General, most of the locals, that's where we go. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard for them to find employees that are there. And it doesn't yeah. matter whether they have disabilities or not. It, what matters is that they have employees that help us, you know, get the, the, the essentials we need. All right, got some good news. I'm actually going to stop recording this podcast right now and run over to the other folks' place and get their story so that we've got it all in one place. So I'm going to go ahead and run and do that, and I'll be right back. Not that you'll know it because, you know, I'm pre-recording this. But, uh, yeah, we'll have the full story. So that's coming up next. But you guys are partners. Yes, we're partners, yeah. and I'm his caregiver. Okay. Um, so, Randy, tell us a little bit about what brought you to Estes Park. Um, so, I came from Utah, and I've been here almost a year. I was having a hard time finding um, subsidized housing there, because I, I received Social Security, and that's um, not enough. I, I worked there as well. I worked at a movie theater, and it just it was really hard to find a place, and... I, I heard about um, that Colorado was more disability friendly from a friend and we just applied for places and this one came up and she came down, um, Kelsey came down first and looked at the place and, and, and video chatted me and I'm like, yes, let's go. I would never left, even left Utah before and, and here I am and I love it here. And how old are you? I am 39. Okay. And can you tell us a little bit about your condition? I have cerebral palsy. Okay. I'm wheelchair bound. I um, have limited mobility. I can't hardly stand. I have really good use of my left hand, not so much of my right. And um, I use my wheelchair to get around everywhere. It's my vehicle, it's my legs, it's everything to me. And And, and a lot of people in town have already met you because of where you work. Tell us about your job and what you're doing there. I work at the Dollar General, and I'm a cashier there. I really love it. Um, the The manager and all the staff there has done amazing things to accommodate um, the work environment for me, and it's just an awesome place. Um, the customers, the locals that come in there, I'm getting to know them, and they're very um, polite and kind to me because I can't quite reach the item, so I have to ask to push the items closer and everybody's just so friendly and, and so helpful and it's just a really awesome place. So tell us about, you went to the, um, the town board meeting last night. Tell us about what motivated you guys to go down there and speak. Okay, so what led up to that is I work, my shift at the Dollar General is from 2 to 10 
three days a week, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And I don't get out of there till about 10.30, sometimes even closer to 11 after closing. And it is really dark out there. There is some lighting along the way, not too much. And the, the bike trails are what I kind of have to travel on to get to and from, because like I said, I go to and from in my wheelchair and um, some parts are really steep to almost like where I could tip over and because of my disability I don't have the strong upper core strength to stay sitting so if I lean guess what my whole upper body's going with and I'm just going and you've only been here have you have you traveled the, the path you have to take during the winter time no I have not because I got here pretty much the beginning of this last winter and I pretty much was just a homebody for that. And then when, when the summertime hit, I'm like, I've got to find something to do. And so that's where the Dollar General job came in. And we don't have too much as far as public transportation goes as no. far as working with people with, with disabilities. Yeah, no. Especially at that time of night. So. Right. So tell us how, I mean, your, your friend of yours told us how, you know, at times you'll have a car driving behind you, you put a bunch of lights on. just. Tell us about the experience, what it's like going home. What have some of the scarier it, it is, experiences been? Okay, so like I said, I drive to and from. So going to work during the day is not near as bad as at night. Yes, there's a lot more drivers out on the road, but it's like they're more cautious and they watch better. At night, it's, it's, it's a different story. It's like they don't even care and they'll speed right through the... There's a crosswalk by O'Reilly's. Yeah, the one that lights That up. flashes, yeah. and they'll just zoom through there. They'll just zoom through there. They don't even care. So that's a dangerous area right there. Um, so, she, so Kelsey follows behind me in her car with the lights and hazard lights. And I started off um, going behind the white line on the... What side of the road is it on? So we started off putting him behind the white line due to him needing to be safe. And I would travel in the turning lane with the hazards on just because I want to make sure that if he ran into any wildlife or even the simple fact that if a car was coming, they would slow down, hopefully. So when I'd see traffic coming head on, I would flash my lights and let them know, hey, there's somebody in the road, Randy. We equipped him with a very bright light. He has um, a ton of reflective tape all over his wheelchair. Can we we've show done, you the light? Yeah, we've, done, we've done everything that we possibly can um, so that we're able to get him home safely. I've bought those little lights from the dollar store that are battery operated and it still, it doesn't deter people. Not even my hazard lights has deterred people to slowing down so much that I've honked at people or I've had to put myself into the other uh, lane, into the oncoming traffic lane, and people will finally stop then. But there was one time I went to do that and the lady swerved over to the white line and so almost, her and and almost hit Randy head on. So we put him in the middle lane and I followed behind with the hazard lights and people have still tried to pass around traffic that's stopped to, or gone slow for us so they'll pass in the turning lane and Randy's right in front of me following. So he's almost been hit numerous times. So walk us through this now so people can visualize it better. 
So you would be on the right side of the road, kind of on the other side where the, the bike, bike, where the bicycles would yes, normally go? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And he would travel on the sidewalk um, when he could, but if it's too slanted, even it's hard for myself. When I travel with him in the wheelchair, it's extremely hard to hold your... The chair weighs about 300 pounds, so if it starts to tip, I can bail out of it, but Randy absolutely could not, so he would just roll with the wheelchair and, and could potentially, it could be fatal, so. So what I do is I eventually get to a spot where I know, like, okay, I know the rest of the way by memory. I know I'm safe getting here, and so I will hop on, on the, the sidewalk and come the rest of the way. There's just those areas. There's, some, there's the steep areas that we've discussed, and then there's also areas where there's, it's not uh, exactly bright out there. But you can see how bright, yeah. sorry to shine it That's in here. okay, I'm gonna get a picture of this. But you can see how bright this light is, and we have used this light several times, you know, waving it, and it's still. Not to mention we have all of the reflective tape on the wheelchair. I've bought Randy a bright yellow um, Where's my vest? vest. It's over there. I brought it. I bought him a bright yellow vest, and it still hasn't deterred people to slow down. So, in reality, we need to get the sidewalk fixed so that Randy can travel to and from work. But more importantly, Randy would also like to work during the winter, so we have set up like a GoFundMe so that we can potentially get a wheelchair accessible vehicle. Because Randy has to stay home when I go get groceries, I have to video chat him if he wants to, if yeah. I want to go get him something for dinner down in Loveland or something, I have to video chat because it's so strenuous on me to lift him into the vehicle as I've been in a, um, a head-on car accident and two other accidents after that where people have rear-ended me and Tebow on my driver's side where my back it um, has been broken in the past. I'm not able to, you know, um, I mean, not, not like broken, broken, but it's so damaged that it's so hard for me to to even care for him let alone lift him into the vehicle so I do it because I love Randy and I have to and I know he wants to get out so when when we want to do family activities or activities with friends it'd be so much easier for him to be able to participate in his wheelchair where he's more comfortable and, and the type of vehicle you're talking about is something where it has a, a part that lowers down and you can ride your chair right, up and right, the chair up yep. and it just brings you up and secures right. you in the vehicle. Absolutely, yep, we just um, time down. It's called a wheelchair accessible vehicle. They have them in SUV, they have them in van, um, all kinds of little vehicles. You just, he just kind of, we lower the ramp, he drives in, we seatbelt him in so that he's safe and that way he can go like, he has family in Utah we'd like to visit, and we're going to be going in September for his niece's birthday, and I have to She's physically have pick to physically him up into the vehicle, the and then I'll have to physically lift him out and back in and back, you know, vice. Yeah. We have to do all of that, and that right there makes our trip so much harder, and, and it causes a lot of problems because we're not able to do as much as what we wanted to do with our friends or family. And how much are you trying to raise for the vehicle? How much do these vehicles cost? Um, they they are very expensive. Uh, because of the modification, that's like an extra 30 grand just right off the top. So they, they run between anywhere from sixty dollars to $80,000. Yes, and uh, we'd like to get one that's fairly newer 
Just because we want it to last Randy his lifetime. We want to be able to travel. We want to be able to take Randy to and from work. He should be able to work all year round. And if, and if the snow is going to be a deterrent for him to go, it'd be nice to have that vehicle because then I yeah. could get him to and from work. And he would be able to go to the grocery store and be a little bit more independent that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Participate in life, which is, you know, it's it's a lot for it's a lot for us to not be able to do that for him. It, it's really disheartening that he's not able to to go on vacations or if I have to go back to Utah or for any reason at all. So the wheelchair vehicles are very expensive, and we've asked to raise about sixty thousand dollars. We're gonna try to get potentially a used one with lower miles. We just don't want to, um, like... Inherit the... Yeah, inherit, like, any problems. Bad things or problems that a used vehicle would have. The, if we're already having financial troubles getting the van, and then all of a sudden something breaks down, it's like... Yeah, we want to make sure that it so has So that's why a, we're going for, a like... service contract or something, so that it's covered and... No, eventually, of course, we know we're going to have to accrue quite a bit of costs, and we're okay with that, but just coming up with that sort of money, and people always ask us, well, why don't you just get it on credit? Well, Randy is disabled on limited income. I'm disabled myself on limited income, and so it's very hard, and they don't always just look at your credit score. They look at how much money that you're, you're making, your debt, and all of that, and it's just not feasible for us to go out and purchase one. It would financially ruin our lives. Yeah. So what? Tell us a little bit about yourself, just personally. What? What are some of the, your passions in life? Like, just let us get to know you as a human being. I am an easygoing person who loves people. That's why my job works so well at the Dollar General, because I get to meet so many different people and be like, hey, because I'm, I, you know, I'm still fairly new here, so it's kind of an awesome opportunity for me to get the chance to meet people and not be sitting at home bored all day like what am i gonna do i want to get out there and do things and so that's that's my whole thing and that's that's why i'm working at dollar general is to give me that that peace and randy and i really enjoy doing things um outside of the house we like to go bowling together we like to go on dates of course we uh rented a pontoon with some friends and family and we went out on the pontoon. Uh, we have some animals that we, uh, service animals that we like to take out for walks or just take to, to the, the dog, dog park. park. Yeah. And Randy would really like to be a part of that, but unfortunately he's, he'd have to drive there and then it would be dangerous driving back later at night. And so he just kind of stays home and I video chat. But we love to get out and do things. We're young, we're not, we don't just sit at home all day. We like to, you know, camping, fishing, we like fishing, and our friends are always inviting us to go, but it's just so hard to go. Because and a lot of times it's a no because it's not feasible for me to go because they know if I go, even if I get in the car, sometimes if we go to a restaurant, if it transfers too much for me or I'm hurting that day, I will sit in the car and not go in. And he'll have to miss out, and that's, that's not what I want. All right, well, is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't touched on? Um, could we add what, we got a text message from the mayor from the meeting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would like to include that in. Yes, we did get a message from the mayor, which was extremely shocking in itself. I wasn't. No, Mayor Wendy's actually great. Yeah, I mean, I, I that's awesome. 
a whole spectrum of things. She did thank us for showing up and um, bringing the concerns about the Highway 7 to light and the safety of it. And she just advised that they're going to try to do something, even if it's just for short term for now, just to protect Randy. Um, then they can work more towards long term, but they are going to find a solution to help us out. And, and I really think they will. I mean, okay, yeah, I think so too. Team and, you know, they, they definitely, uh, I, I think that they'll definitely work on it. And from what I've heard after the meeting from some of my sources, they were already talking about it right after the Good, the yeah. Meeting, yeah. Yeah, because there have been times where I tell Randy, if you want to meet me at Safeway and go shopping, let's go. And there was one time he got, like, turned around, and the cops had to help him get to the sidewalk. And when yeah, we went out I on the 4th of July, in, in the just... road and didn't realize I would. And he's like, you're going to get hit out here. And I'm like, well, I finally see that now after it was too late. But, yeah. Yeah, we just want to make sure that Randy's safe, honestly. In a nutshell, we want to make sure he's safe. That's my main priority. And then getting a vehicle where he, he and I can, and family and friends can do things together so he's not being left out because he deserves to be there just as much as anybody else. All right. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. All right. Well, that was the story that I was trying to get. Um, I'm going to go ahead and include the Go, the GoFundMe account at the show notes at the bottom of the page. And um, if you feel like helping to contribute to that uh, that handicap accessible vehicle, uh, they sure could use the help. And uh, just you know, if anything, just go out to Dollar General and say hi to Randy. He's uh, he's a great guy, very very outgoing and uh, friendly, and uh, he'd love for you to come say hi. So go and uh, do that if you feel so inclined. All right, I'm going to end the show off with the. Um, interview with the director of the Go Congress that just happened last week here at Estes Park. I actually, I would have gone and watched it if I had known, but you know, I'm kind of uh, busy doing a lot of different things. So um, we're going to end off with that. So I'm just going to say goodbye now and then play the interview after. Um, again, thanks for tuning in and listening to the Colorado Switchblade. As always, as always I'm Jason Van Taten of your host and um Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by um, joining with a paid membership. Now, I'm going to be upfront and honest with you. I'm, I'm going to give it to you for free anyway. Everything's pretty much um, free anyway because I think there's stories we're covering that you're not getting elsewhere here in the Estes Valley community. Um, but if you want to help support it, it really does help me with you know buying clothes for my daughters for school and, and keeping the lights on. So, uh, yeah, you can do that either, I mean, as little as $5 a month, less than one cup of coffee, or uh, up to $150 you can donate if you so choose to do so, or buy one of my books. Um, you can get them down at McDonald's bookstores here locally if you just want to get it delivered. Uh, I If you just click on the book covers at the bottom of the uh, show notes, just the article that goes out with this, um, it'll bring you right to my Amazon page. And it all helps to keep my daughters in new school clothes and, and help keep the, uh, the food on the table and the lights on. So I do appreciate all of your support. Thank you so much, Estes Park. All right, here we go. I also want to just real quick give a shout out to John. Thank you so much for helping out with recording these interviews. You've been a great help. Thank you, John. Okay, Howard, if you could just tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, 
uh, what the Congress is and how it's going okay. so far. Um, so let's see. I learned to play Go when I was 15, summer of 1967, summer of love. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it was hard at first because there were, there were very few books or any other resources in English. Uh, when I went back to high school the next year, I tried to teach my friends, but we had no boards, no stones. So we played on graph paper with pencils and had to erase when we captured stones. It was pretty primitive. Um, then later when I went to college, I uh, found a local club and started getting into it more. So um, I've been pl I played on and off for a long time. Um, in the 1989 Go Congress, I won the Best Participant Prize and the One Don Band of the U.S. Open. So that was probably my peak. Uh, as a as a player, mm -hmm. um, in the 1990s, I kind of burned out on Go, and I didn't play for 20 years. And then AlphaGo happened, okay. the, the first AI that was superhuman at Go, mm -hmm. and it was like a flying saucer had landed, and the aliens came out, and they wanted to play Go, and they were better at it than we were, and I'm thinking like, okay. After 4,000 years, maybe we can finally figure out what this game is really about. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and that was 2016, is that roughly, right? Roughly, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that was a Korean that was very high-ranked and lost four um, out of five or one. Well, they'd actually played a, a match against the strongest European player before that, and he, he went in expecting to be able to just... You know, brush it aside, but he he lost all five games, okay. and then became an advisor to the company. Uh, <laughs> was this this Google and that was uh, uh, Fan Hui? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, Google so, DeepMind. Yeah, okay. Um, so he he got excited in sort of the same way, you know, yeah. that you know, uh, I thought this, you know, I thought programs were useless, that you know, they would never be as good as people, and then all yeah. of a sudden, yeah. So yeah, the the probably the peak of the fame was uh, the match against Lee Sedol, which is documented in the movie AlphaGo, which is available free online, mm -hmm. uh, many places. Yeah. Uh, even my wife liked that movie, and, and she's uh -huh. only a, like a cognitive neuroscientist, doesn't play Go. Uh -huh. um, and and I talked to someone last night, and they said it actually kind of made things more exciting. He thought that would end go forever once that AI had I, made it so that humans were not I think people responded differently. I mean, some for some people it's like, oh, this ruins the game, right? Because now we have to take away people's cell phones before they play in a tournament <laughs> and stuff okay, like that. You okay, know, it just, yeah, it, yeah. it's, it's uh, for some people it's a pain in the butt. Um, but no, I mean, it was really interesting. When I started learning the game, there were hundreds, maybe thousands of fixed corner patterns where it's like, he plays here, you play there, da 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 da, da oh, and, and this is the way this corner goes. Mm -hmm. and, and some of them depended on what was in the other corners, and some of them didn't. But we were told, oh my God, these are almost perfect. You should just memorize them people who are much smarter than you and know go much better than you do have been studying these things for centuries 
and they are highly optimized and they're you should just think of them as completely correct okay and then the AIs came along and they looked at most of those and went no I'd rather play over here <laughs> so the some of some of those patterns they completely refuted by finding a move that had been overlooked mm -hmm. that makes it go badly for the other side some of them they just uh, never get into because they already diverge you know they, they prefer oh. to diverge into another path before that set of complications even okay. ever happens okay. so mm -hmm. it just it, it didn't become wrong it just became irrelevant uh, uh, um, okay and you know in in particular one that that i like is um if a if a player pl the first player plays at the four four point and the second player plays inside that they can take they can scoop out the corner they play at the three three point inside uh, at the expense of giving the first player a big outside wall that they can maybe use as influence or to attack something or to try to build territory from um, and so we got told when we were young that you should wait on those moves you shouldn't play them very early because if you play it at the very beginning of the game, the wall is worth more than the territory. That's what we got told. Oh, mm, mm. And now the AIs often play that invasion on move five. Wow. Or quickly. Mm. ten or, you know, it's, it's very early in the game. Okay. And that has become very common now. Everybody disagrees. Oh, yeah, you can do that. That's fine. But for me, having had literally decades where I was basically having my hand slapped, hand, saying, hand no, you shouldn't yeah. do that, it's like, it feels so naughty. And just every time I play it, it's just like I'm getting away with something, you know, it's like I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. Um, and it, it, it gives just a little thrill to the game or something. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's been really exciting having yeah. the, the AIs to bounce ideas, ideas. off of. Okay. Uh, Most of the listeners in Master Spark will be unfamiliar with the game, but I mentioned just in this intro that um, before you started talking with me that there's young young children here and i think they're very competitive i think oh, yeah. they're really it, it, good it can be kind of irritating when you're getting beaten by a six-year-old but um <laughs> but no we actually have there's one uh, we have uh, american professional players uh this took a long time to develop 20 years ago or so there was no such thing as an american professional, professional. player there were a couple of people who had gone to japan become professional there and then come back or to korea and 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 come back but we we had no system for building up our own american pros and now you know like uh 10 years ago we put such a system in place there are competitions by which people win their promotion to professional rank or or go up a rank mm -hmm. the youngest professional that we have here this year is 12 years old he became professional one done last year wow and uh so that's really exciting because this is, this is a game where if you really want to reach the very highest levels, you have to start young. It, it has to be in your blood from the time you're a little kid. Okay. And uh, he, he's got that. Yeah. And so may go very far. Yeah. And, and I heard you speak at the library here on campus on Tuesday, and you clearly have a very strong mathematics background. Oh, yeah. Is that an advantage? Is it a prerequisite? Can you be a good player and not be able to make change at the store? Or do you, is it really necessary? I don't think it's absolutely necessary, although when the game first came to America, it... Uh, it mostly took root in sort of math and computer science departments. 
So there is some affinity between that kind of thinking and the logic of the game. Um, but I know a lot of people who say they hate math, but they love solving okay. puzzles, ah, okay. which are mathematical in structure. So um, <laughs> I don't think people actually hate math. I think they hate being told they're stupid. You know, yeah, yeah, it's okay. it's a different thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, no, I, th I, th I think you don't have to have advanced, you have to be able to count okay. because the point of the game is, is to get the most territory, sure. And you have to know how much you have and how much your opponent has to figure out or if you're ahead or behind and whether you need yeah. to try something risky or whether you should just like you know lock it up and throw away the key. Okay. Um, yeah. there's a saying, rich men don't pick fights, you know, if you're way ahead. Ah. You, you don't want to fight. Okay. Why should I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. You, you just finish everything off and even maybe let the guy take a few points away from you okay. to keep everything nice and safe and sane and calm. And then you just win. Right. So yeah. Yeah. winning a one game is is not an easy art all the time. Sometimes yeah. it is. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> and, and also when I was reading the rules and, and some of the etiquette, it seems like a very much a gentleman's game where everybody's well behaved. Is that true? Do people ever get angry? Do they start to try to one-up somebody else or try to... Um, I won't say that people don't get internally angry. Okay. Most often at themselves for making a move ah. that they later realize was a mistake. Okay. Um, but you don't have any prima donnas that come march in and kind of... No, there's nothing like out like there, out there like in poker. Correct. There are some mm -hmm. famous people like Phil Hellmuth right. who like just explode all the time. We don't have anybody like that that I know of. Okay. Um, yeah. And there's there's a certain historical etiquette built into the game in that it was in ancient times uh, only educated and uh, sophisticated people played it. In in ancient China, um, the four arts that a gentleman was supposed to know was like painting, calligraphy, poetry, and wei qi, or go. Mm -hmm. you know, so yeah. if, you, if you were a cultured person, you were supposed to know all four of those. Okay. Um, there was a famous case in China where two armies of approximately equal size and, and equipage were facing each other, and the generals on both sides realized that whoever was the better strategist was going to win. And they and one of them sent a messenger to the other side saying, "Let's just play a game of go okay. to decide the battle." Yeah, and so they Save did. The, the two, the two really? generals played. One of them won. The other one went home and told his em emperor uh -huh. that he lost, lost the battle, but nobody okay. died. Yeah, yeah, amazing. <laughs> Probably the only time in recorded history. Yeah, yeah, but um, it had that level of um, respect, right. I think. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned too, and I want to go back to this because I don't understand it. Um, do you become a pro or do you choose or is it something that as you get better it just happens and is assigned to you or no it takes no. a tremendous amount of work okay um, I mean we're talking minimum five to ten years of dedicating your whole life to the game essentially okay. um, maybe a little bit less for kids because you know they learn things right. faster yeah but um, but it is it is a decision that you're involved with, or is it just because mm. you're so good? Then the Congress well, says you don't. Can you can you choose to remain amateur all your life? But yes, be a very very good player. And okay. there were there were some famous um, there was a famous Japanese amateur, uh, for example, who, on the amateur scale, probably got to be seven don, maybe eight don, oh. um, and he was easily as good as as the lowest level pros. 
uh, like you know the pro wandons who had sort of just gotten there, mm-hmm. and uh, and so they they liked putting him into some. There were some like pro am tournaments, and okay. so if he was the they am, are, you were in really good shape. Okay. Um, yeah. And do you get money? Do you get more endorsements? Do you get more? That depends. Okay. Um, there are some tournaments that do award a fair amount of money, like where the top prize might be a hundred thousand U.S. dollars. But there's very few of those. So most professional Go players have to live by um, giving lessons, okay. playing teaching games with people. Okay. Um, and this can be done online now. There's, there's some pros who have online Go schools where they have a curriculum and you, you, you join and they'll tell you to like, you know, watch these videos and then uh, play a game with this person. And then I see. the pro will analyze the game and tell you where you made mistakes and tell you okay. to study this thing and, you know. There's a whole okay. process of, of uh, how to get better. And, you know, a lot of people do that even, I mean, like, I'm never going to be pro strength. Uh, I peaked at amateur three don, where amateur seven don might be almost pro one don. So it's yeah, like, it's yeah. just, I'm still like four mm-hmm. levels away from maybe the lowest ranks of, of professional strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think that matters. I think, you know, uh, one of the comments in the first five minutes of the AlphaGo movie where they're talking about what is Go and why do people mm-hmm. play it is just it always puts you at the limit of what you're capable of. You're always facing your, you know, how deeply can I read? How much can I see here? There's this, there's this thing in front of me where there is some mathematical answer mm-hmm. to what's going on, mm-hmm. but my brain is limited I can't see into the infinite depths of this game. It's it's like it's like a pool that has no bottom. It's just how far down into wow. it can you see? Mm-hmm. And yeah. and so it doesn't matter what level you're at, whether you're a beginner or or a pro, you're you're, you're pushing your vision out to the limits of what you can foresee happening, yeah. and what you can foresee your opponent doing. Yeah. And so you're always working right at that edge. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no way to just kind of dial it in, yeah. you know, phone it in. You, you, you kind of always have to be at oh, 10 or 11. Wow. And here you're up at altitude doing all that. Yes, and yes. So, so we're all doing it with brain yeah. fog. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and I wondered, I've seen you, the Congress has come to Colorado before. It's been in Denver. It's been in Colorado mm-hmm. Springs. Why Estes Park? Well, um, so the first Go Congress ever was 85. And then the first one in Colorado was 1990. And then the second one in Colorado was 2000. And the third one in Colorado was 2010. And so around 2018, we're going, you know, we got a streak going here. Every year that ends in zero has been in Colorado. Okay. And Colorado is not one-tenth of the United States. So we're batting above our weight here. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but we have lots of gorgeous locations. Um, and, you know, we looked at a lot of places for this one. We looked at uh, Embassy Suites in Loveland. We looked at uh, Colorado State University, which has a gorgeous playing hall in the, mm. yeah, I mean, yeah. you know. Um, but everybody just started thinking like the Y was just the, such a pretty environment. Uh, so in 2020, we, we arranged with the Y that we would do it in August, and then COVID hit. And we had to cancel. But we thought, you know, maybe two years from now, it, the 2021 location had already been picked. Oh, oh, okay. So we couldn't do that. Um, but the AGA board said, 
you want to leapfrog to 2022? And uh, sure, so we did. And we kept most of our arrangements with the Y. Uh, so I, I almost wanted to get up at the beginning of the opening ceremony and say, welcome to the 2020 U.S. GO Congress. Uh, so this, is, this has been four years in the making, right? Sure, we started sure. planning this in like, like 2018 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so how's it gone so far? You're over halfway through. How is it? Are, are people um, generally... Happy or it some... was it was frantic at the beginning. We had because we had the not just the normal huge workload of putting an event like this together, but we had like another fifty or hundred percent on top of that of dealing with COVID safety issues. Sure. Uh, trying to get every single attendee to be fully vaccinated and up to date with their boosters. Uh, by the time the Congress, you know, two months before the Congress started, we had two hundred fifty people who were not. Oh, wow. Out of 380-something, right? Okay. And uh, the day before the Congress started, we were down to nine. Okay. So, uh, and we tested everybody on arrival. Okay. Three people had COVID and had to go home. Okay. Okay. And uh, since then, we've had yeah. one family where the husband and wife both got it, and the daughter didn't, and she's okay. still playing. Oh, my but God. But they're isolating in their room in right room. now. Okay. Okay. Um, they have food yeah. brought to them. And uh, if they need medical yeah. help, we'll get it. But ba yeah. basically, I think our, our COVID plan is more or less working. We only had to fall back to our, our first line of defense okay. after, which was keep people isolating in their rooms. Okay. Okay. We haven't had to take anybody to a hospital yet, and mm -hmm. nobody else seems to have gotten it. So, okay. um, yeah. so the first couple of days with, like, you know, ex executing 384 COVID tests, yeah. And yeah. uh, recording the results and all that—that was—that was a pain. Yeah. Uh, but things are calming down now. I think everyone's in a groove. They know which tournaments they're playing in, what events they want to go to. They're familiar with, you know, where the cafeteria is, where the playing area is, where the mm -hmm. kids' area is. All you know. Mm -hmm. um, so not too much disorientation. And also, I think you know, people had a little bit of uh, altitude issues when they first came up here. And yeah. you know, after a day or two, it gets better. So. Okay. All in all, I feel like everybody's much more comfortable, and we're just we're just right. having a Congress yeah. now. Yeah. It's no, just different. everything's just sort of working. Business as usual. Yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, I was just talking with Carl from the YMCA, and he's mm -hmm. saying, yeah, everything seems to be okay. going well from his point of view, also. So. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Well, I really appreciate it. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you'd like to add? Well, I wanted to get back to the idea of of uh, the math. Mm -hmm. So while I was saying that you don't really need to be a math whiz to play the game, you do need to be able to think logically, you do need to be able to count, mm -hmm. um, there is a connection between the game and math that's only started to be unraveled in the last decade or so. There's a field called combinatorial game theory, which is about uh, games of perfect information where you know everything, so it doesn't include poker. And it also doesn't include games that have a random element like backgammon where you're rolling dice. But games like chess go where everything's out in front of you. Both players can see everything. There's nothing hidden. Um, it turns out that um, you can analyze, uh, especially the end games in Go, where you're trying to figure out how to get the squeeze the most out of, out of each little situation, um, can be analyzed with that. And, and I've actually... I have a math degree, 
but I worked most of my career as an engineer, but I did manage to publish two pure math, quote unquote, papers in my life. And one of them was on applying that theory to go. So um, there, there has been some work in that area. So there are some sort of deep math questions that resonate into the game or that it uh, brings up. Mm. And, uh, and so I, I think that's interesting that, I mean, the, the thing that's really interesting about Go, I think, is that the rules are so simple. The pieces are so simple. There's only one kind of piece, one kind of move. The rules are one paragraph, essentially. And yet, all this immense complexity just billows out of it like, like some chaos theory <laughs> example, right? It's almost like the game is a gigantic fractal, like the Mandelbrot set that, you know, you can look at it from far away and it seems really simple, but when you start getting into it deeper and deeper, there's just more and more and more detail. Um, yeah. And that's, that's one of the beauties of the game is just that this, every game is different. And the situation, you know, there's some common themes, but the, the details uh, are always fresh and, and it's always a new challenge. It's, it's, you know, it's way better than getting a new Sudoku puzzle every day. Gotcha. Um, because we didn't do this at the beginning, tell tell me your full name and where you were educated, and sure. if you have a title and where you live now. Okay, yeah. uh, Howard A. Landman. Um, I was born in San Francisco, but raised in Silicon Valley in Santa Clara. Uh, I got my undergraduate and graduate degrees at UC Berkeley, uh, and also did some graduate work at Princeton University. Um, and I'm just a general science geek. I mean, I've, you know, I like it all. Um, and where do you live now? And how did you get involved with this Congress as one of the co-directors? Um, okay, so those are, uh, I currently live in Fort Collins, although oh, wow. I spent a lot of my life in California. Uh -huh. I can claim to be a repatriated Coloradoan, however, because both my parents were born in Denver. Oh, I, I and they escaped, uh -huh. and I unescaped. So... Um, my wife's a professor at Colorado State, oh, okay. and uh, at, or I guess it was the 2018 or 2019 Go Congress, uh, I went to the meeting where they were doing site selection, and I went there to tell a sad tale, which was that I had tried to drum up enough support among the, the Fort Collins Go Club, which is very small, mm. uh, to propose a Congress for 2020. And I just didn't have the people, and I couldn't do it. And they said, well, what about getting some of the other Colorado clubs to support you? And then Boulder said, well, we could probably throw in a guy. And so it was a little bit like that Three Stooges routine where they say, um, everyone who wants to volunteer step forward, and everybody except Curly steps backwards. And <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I got volunteered to be a director. Um, by them throwing other people at it and saying that some that my excuse that I didn't have enough people uh, didn't hold anymore. Um, and so we ended up with three directors, Paul Barshalon and, and Eric uh, from the Boulder Club and myself and, and a few other people helping. And so it just, it came together. And it, it sort of helped a little bit that we had to do it twice. I mean, it was extra work, but... <laughs> you got a dress rehearsal, yeah. Yeah, we had a dress rehearsal, essentially, <laughs> where we had to figure 
you know, yeah. we had to go to Crown Trophy and figure out oh all of gosh. our all of our prizes and T-shirts yeah. and stuff yeah. Yeah. in 2020, and then we had to do it again yeah. this year. Yeah. But it was easier the second time. Yeah. Um, so a lot a lot of things were like that, where it, um, uh, you know, we had a rehearsal essentially. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. And then that brought up the final question: How how popular is Go in Colorado? How many clubs are there? How many different cities are oh, represented here? Um, I think Boulder's probably the strongest club, actually. They especially have a very active youth outreach program. So they have a lot of stuff going on for kids. They meet at the library in Boulder every week. And uh, they have tournaments regularly. Fort Collins is much smaller. There's maybe like five or six people, and we meet in a bar. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not as kid-friendly. Um, yep. Denver have a club? Uh, yeah, although I haven't Springs. been down to it. Okay. Yeah. Right. And and you know, it's uh the and game is much stronger than it, it used mm-hmm. to be. Uh-huh. And it's also less balkanized. In the 60s and 70s when I was learning, if you went to a big city like New York, there would be a white people's go club. Oh my god. And there would be a Korean only go club and a Japanese only go club and a Chinese only go club. And those three cultures, they, they never played against each other. They just, it was, it was considered to be like a private cultural thing within that ethnic group or that language group. Mm-hmm. And those walls have broken down a lot as we have a new generation of kids who grow up right. where English is their dominant language, but they probably still know the, the right. parental language. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, as, as the AGA has just gotten stronger, the Go Congresses started in 85, and that's helped bring people together. Um, and, and so we have a much more unified Go culture in the U.S. now than we did 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. Um, and I think that's really good and healthy. It's, oh, it's a lot yeah. richer. Yeah. Um, yeah. This isn't a game that belongs to one country or one culture. It's really a treasure yeah. for all of mankind. Yeah. And one of the players I talked to last night who was on mainland China and then moved over to the United States said there was kind of, I was talking about ping pong diplomacy in the 70s, and he said in, in Japan and China started to kind of ease some of their tension uh, in, I think it was the 80s maybe, when they started having go players um, tournaments or, or back and forth. And so he said, we got Japanese TV for the first time. I mean, it, it seems like games can sometimes help with, with diplomacy. It's true. Um, the, the game is enormously popular in Korea. Well over half the population plays it. And a few years ago, uh, a Korean player was in the final of the world championship, and they broadcast that game into Korea, and it had the highest rating of any TV show of that year. It was like 60% of all households okay, were watching yeah. that game. Okay. So. Um, and you've got commenters. I mean, you've got... And analysis of every move then live. Yeah, that yeah. that's uh, there's a lot of streaming now. Okay. Uh, the Japan Go Association and the Korean Go Association are streaming games every day, um, usually with commentators, although it's in Japanese or right, Korean. Right, but right, uh, right. and then for really big games like the AlphaGo matches, you'll have commentators in multiple languages. So the AlphaGo games were commented in China in Chinese, mm-hmm. in Korea, in Korean, in Japan. And we had um, some top English-speaking pros doing the commentating. Uh, 
Yeah. You know, which which uh, you can see in the movie. You can yeah. see the English stuff in the movie. Yeah. Um, so it's it's yeah. it's uh, there's a lot more available now for people mm-hmm. that want to learn or just even vaguely interested. Yeah. Uh, and and so say the website where the, the easiest one to go to to get started, and then the, oh, the site for your Congress too. Um, the site for the Congress is always gocongress.org. Okay. Uh, and then, it, you know, what's on it changes every, every year, year as the new one comes along. But you have the whole, you have them all the way data bank, clear back almost to the beginning. Yeah, you can right. find the old stuff if you want. Yeah. Um, there's the American Go Association. Uh, I'm not sure I remember the URL, but oh, if you okay. look for Just that, you'll find that. it. Mm-hmm. Um, the Japan Go Association or the Nihon Kiin, uh-huh. N-I-H-O-N-K-I-I-N, uh, they have a lot of stuff streaming online, and there's just general. If you just look for the the ghost stuff, there are websites, there are uh, tutorials, I'm tutorials, mm-hmm. and some of the top AIs in the world are uh, open source and free. Oh, wow! And so okay. anybody yeah. can download one of these AIs, mm-hmm. have it on their laptop, and you've got a better than professional human strength player, <laughs> yeah. you know, on your phone yeah. even. Right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's uh, yeah. It's a whole different world than it used to be. Yeah, um, yeah. So you can analyze your own games, or you can play against an AI. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, and and as you say, in certain countries, it is the thing to do, and and over half the people play. So it's yeah. I think I think in China, probably Chinese chess is slightly more popular. Okay. Uh, if you walk around in a park, you're more likely to see a chessboard than a go board. But mm-hmm. you know, you'll see both. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah. it's definitely still considered to be, uh, you know, uh, a very high prestige kind of thing to say that you're a Go, a go player. And, and more females getting in, too. Both yes, in that's good, States too. And, yeah. it, used to, it used to be very male-dominated uh, in the 60s and 70s. And, um, but, you know, then we, 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 we got our first female pro, Janice Kim, went to Korea, became a pro, and, and came back. And uh, she's really sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, she isn't here this year because she had, um, she's still recovering from a brain tumor surgery. Okay. And she says she's been interested because that affected her ability to play. And so she can measure her recovery. Oh my gosh. By the return Man. of her playing strength. Yo. Wow. So um, okay. we've been, I've been in touch with her. I asked her if she wanted to come this year, and she didn't feel she was ready yet, but maybe next year. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And good oh, luck no on problem. And good luck the rest of the Congress. Yeah. Thanks. Yep.